0: Welcome to Season 4 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion.
1: Hello, Joel Tolbert. Howdy, Eric. How are you, man? I'm all right. Good to see you. Good to hear from you. No
0: no tech issues Wednesday.
1: That's what we're calling today.
0: Between sicknesses and tech issues, we are not a weekly podcast lately. We are like a monthly podcast, but we'll get better. Yeah, but we're fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Oh, man. How have you been doing? I'm okay. Today's Ash Wednesday, a big day in the life of the Christian church. So I am wearing my purple collared clergy shirt today, and I'm all ready to smear some goopy stuff on people's foreheads. So is that done at a set time? (laughs) <laughs> well, we I thought about going downtown to Little Chestertown and setting up a table and doing it at midday. Our service will be at 7 o'clock. A lot of people prefer to do ashes early in the day so they can show them off all day to everybody on the planet, but...
1: Yep, I- When I dropped the kids off at daycare, I saw a few uh, UGA students walking around and I didn't realize it was Ash Wednesday until I saw that. And then, of course, I made the connection.
0: You told them to, hey, you got something on your forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just get that for you and you know, lick my finger.
1: No, no. So, um, well, because it's so relevant and timely, can you – and I I know you've taught me this before, but I have forgotten. What is the significance – of Ash Wednesday?
0: Sure. It's just a recognition that humanity is not God, that uh, whoever God is, God is the only being that is bigger than death. We all are going to fall victim of death at some point, and it is acknowledgement of that. So some people think of it as a pretty dark holiday. It's, we're all gonna die holiday. Uh, at the same time, it's also meant to just remind us we are not God Um. So don't get all God cocky in what you think you know about life or religion or theology. Don't get all God cocky about who is or is not a beloved child of God. Be humble, live life uh, beside one another, with one another, for one another. And when that is over, trust the rest to God who is bigger than all of it. And it's the ashes to ashes, dust to dust moment. So my next question, and
1: this, by the way, applies to a lot of Jewish holidays where there's a theme and the holiday only is once a year or once every so often. What makes the, I mean, that theme seems to be, like that theme is timeless, right? Like you could reflect on that. So what makes the day special?
0: Oh, fine. Uh, There's a season between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Ash Wednesday is the start of the Lenten season or the season of lent and easter is the last day or the first day past that season of lent uh lent is a uh, is 40 days in the desert is how we think of that and that remembers the 40 years in the desert of the exodus people as well as the 40 days in the desert Jesus spent before he launched his ministry and the reason that we say hey remember we're all going to die at the beginning of lent is because at the end of Lent Jesus dies, so it's a recognition that hey, Got don't it. be surprised when the end of the story appears to be death. And then Easter, of course, reminds us somehow the the this God brings life that is bigger and beyond death. Good, thanks.
1: <laughs> it's, I'm debating bringing something up, but of course, by saying that, now I have to. Yeah, um, it's like. From the sacred to the profane, but um, this morning I was catching up on on some podcasts. I I, I subscribe to Pop Culture Happy Hour, um, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, and oftentimes they'll give their thoughts on a movie, and if it's a movie I know I'm going to see, I don't listen to it until after I watch it, and Top Gun Maverick was one of those movies. I saw it a long time ago. I just didn't realize I had saved the podcast. Long story short, and I promise there is a connection, um, and I don't think this is a spoiler alert to anyone who has not yet seen. Have you seen it, Joel? Oh gosh, yeah. Okay, so they were talking about how the the themes of the movie mirror um, some aspects of Tom Cruise's life in that he's kind of the last of the movie stars and one of the last holdouts to really do things like we might say analog as opposed to digital. And 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 the hosts were saying, you know. It's going to end sometime. Like even Tom Cruise can't keep doing Tom Cruise. He's about to be 60. And so I would you're saying, and, I, and I'm not trying to make light of this in the slightest, but regardless of who we are or where we are in our lives and the things we like doing, we are never going to be all powerful, all knowing, have all the time in the world, all the health in the world, all the money in the world. Um, and so it, it is an important lesson. Um, but yeah, thanks for allowing that, that diversion.
0: Oh, sure. And it's, it's a full day. And there's a lot of Christian churches who do not do Ash Wednesday or Lent. If you've heard that term Mardi Gras, it really means big Tuesday, right? Or fat Tuesday. Um, which is the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. It's the time where you fatten up because you're going into the desert and you're going to be hungry and starve yourself and, uh, deprive yourself. I, I don't think of Lent as a season of self-deprivation and torture and abuse. Uh, I, th- some Christians do, and a bunch of Christians don't do Lent at all. For me, Lent is not a season of giving up something that gives me life. Lent is a season of uh, dropping the things that uh, force me to die before death. Lent is the season where I lay down shame Lent is the season where you give up guilt. Lent is the season where you give back all the grumpy, nasty, yucky stuff that blocks me from living life to its fullness now and that introduces Hmm. a premature death into the season that I'm supposed to be alive and celebrating and enjoying and living life to its fullness and helping everybody else around me have life to its fullness. Not It's not a personal thing. Um, Lent is a celebration of the wholeness of life for all of God's creation, and some Christians screw that up by thinking it's just a personal access to some privileged life as opposed to a communal, global, universal access to, to this uh, beautiful life that God has promised.
1: So let me ask one more question, which is, is the act of putting on the ashes itself a ritual? And if so, who puts it
0: on you? Yeah, it is a, a ritual. There are some Catholic traditions or Orthodox traditions where it's almost sacramental. It's way up there. Uh, and you could even think of like the the very last act that is often done. And you, you might have seen this, uh, a, a Catholic priest uh, will put oil on the sign of a cross on someone's forehead, and there's some special prayers, and it's called the uh, anointing of the sick or the last rites. Both of those are sacramental in some Christian zones. For us, the ashes are a sign, a symbol, a ritual, and they do remember uh, birth. They remember baptism, They remind us all the way from birth and baptism to death that we are going to die someday. And then at death, we'll make that sign again as uh, the universal connection so that every one of our breaths from before the first one to after the last one, they were all connected um, under the love of this God. And Ash Wednesday is, oddly enough, the only one that we repeat um, you don't, in our tradition, you don't baptize anybody more than once, and they don't die more than once. So in between those two are the sign of the ashes, and we'll do that um, annually as uh, kind of like our birthday, in a way. And...
1: uh who does your ashes? Like, are, are you able to do them yourself?
0: The other pastor will do mine and I'll do hers. Uh, we'll share that space. If not, anybody in the congregation could do ashes for me. And I've had it where I've had a kid, uh, you know, I've knelt down and said, okay, I'll do yours and you do mine. And I've had a kid <laughs> nice. do ashes on, on my head. Um, and it's, Very cool. that's where, you know, I get, it's okay to put ashes on an 85 year old woman. It's really hard to put ashes on a two-year-old's infant um, I
1: having a two and a half year old, I would imagine
0: mm-hmm. but and it makes you say like right, they're gonna die. They're gonna die. Right. I, I need to remember that. they're gonna die. They are not God. Um, they are loved by God and by me, but they are they're not eternal. All right. Well, that
1: was that was good. Uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, I, I guess after three weeks, right? If my math's correct. Uh, Let's get to our topic, and, and so far, so good. No tech issues. We're doing great. Woo-hoo. Ten minutes in.
0: Yeah, last time we uh, we worked a lot on specific terms in your tradition, um, Israel, Jew and Jewish, uh, Semite. We, we worked on some monster topics like that. This week, we are going to spin the tables and let you grill me on terms that seem to be a little bit um, more towards the the christian world perspective and i wonder what terms come to mind for you that you want that you want me to try to unpack yeah i mean and I, I,
1: absolutely and and i do have a few and, and some of them we talked about and then i may surprise you on on a few also so let's start with, i'm putting air quotes on easy christian mm mm-hmm. it you know like so many words involving religion and, and just outside of religion, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it's like tofu, right? Like, like there are words that mean whatever the person saying them thinks they mean. But to you, well, I guess two questions is what do you think most people mean? Cause I have a feeling for you, it's two different answers. Tell me if I'm wrong. But what do most people mean, generally speaking, when they say I'm Christian? And then for you, what does it mean to say I'm Christian?
0: Yeah, okay, sure. Let's start with the, the first one, most people. We're going to have to differentiate that globally and then Americanly. Uh Globally, if somebody calls themselves a Christian, it probably means that they are a part of some worshiping community that um, has the stance that Jesus is the embodiment of God, and he died and rose again. And we'll stop there. Uh, American Christianity, a lot like, and European Christianity might be going this way as well, but we're, somehow, American Christianity is farther down this track than Europe. Uh, If you're an American Christian, it's kind of like the difference between Israel in Scripture and Israel as a nation state. I think when a, a lot of Americans say Christian, they don't mean it as a religious identity. They don't necessarily have beliefs or practices that embody Christianity. They are cultural Christians. They were born into a household where mom or, and or dad or some, grandma or granddad or somebody in their family went to church regularly and forced them to go and maybe drag them along on some Sundays or went to Bible school or camp or conference in the summers. And they heard a bunch of stuff and they know some of the songs and they got a feel for the prayers and they've even taken communion and they were probably baptized. But they don't have any real beliefs around that, nor do they have any practices. Uh, so I call I, – I, I'm worried that a majority of the people who use the term Christian only mean it culturally. They do not mean it for the accountability and responsibility and the disciplines and the beliefs that come with it. That now is betraying my – personal take on what it means to be a Christian. It means that, sure, I am going to assent my mind and heart to this concept of whoever God is that we try to know in nature or in experience or in relationships or in Scripture, we can know this God best through this weird brown-skinned Palestinian Jew, Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth. Uh, who led some folks and said some wild things and was killed for it and rose again uh, from death and appeared to a bunch of folk. Uh, so that's a, a scent of the mind and heart. Um, then it is, and it makes me a disciple of Jesus, like a, a student of who he was, a studier of who he was and what he said and how he lived. But then it also makes me a practicer of the disciplines that he practiced and taught us to practice. So I if I'm going to use the term Christian, it cannot be internal only. It is both internal, what I believe, think, feel, and external, what I do, practice, how I yeah. live.
1: And that's always been a, a big a big thing for you and something I think you and I agree on that you know, I think a lot of people say, and if I may speak for Christians for a second, <laughs> something <laughs> yeah. that I hear a lot, you know, is you need to believe in Jesus or I believe in Jesus. And uh, again, please correct me if I'm misunderstanding you, but for you, that's that, that means something, but that's not sufficient. It, it just, because it, it doesn't have necessary a bearing on responsibility or action.
0: Well, and the good sentiment that that uh, inspires, like even when Jesus says, you know, hey, I'm I'm this guy, and if you're going to know God, you you can know God through me. Um, so believe that, and he says that to some of his disciples, um, the men and women and children that were nearby. Okay, that's a lovely that's a lovely way to say it. We've con- uh, contorted that expression to mean, oh, mm-hmm. well, if I say I believe it. If I have a mental assent to that, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, he is. Okay, got it. I'm done. Uh, no. Like the only reason he said, look, the reason I'm trying to embody God for you is so that you can know God better. And what it looks like once you know God, it changes everything. It changes how you love self. It changes how you love others. It changes how you love enemies. It changes how you read the law. You can no longer say, thou shalt not kill and say, well, at least I didn't kill anybody. Because Jesus says in Matthew 5-ish, he goes, okay, you hadn't killed anybody. Great. Guess what? You thought about killing somebody. That's up there too. And you even like hated them just with your heart. That's in there too. You basically killed Mm. them with your thoughts. So your thoughts and words and actions are the same go embody it. And if you're not embodying it, it's a lie what you believe. And if you say you believe it and don't embody it, you're just kidding yourself.
1: As you say that, I'm thinking of former President Jimmy Carter, and I know, um, you know, he's been in the news as of late because of his declining health and certainly prayers for him and his family. Um, one of the things from a theological point of view that that he's well known for is that line, you know, it, it's okay – and I I'm paraphrasing obviously, but, you know, sinning in your heart is one thing. Sinning in action is something else. And I actually agree with that. I – now I wouldn't say that sinning in your heart is okay, but I, I want to push back on something you just said that that heart and action are the same. I don't think they're the same. Um to so g- g- go into that a little bit if you don't mind.
0: Sure. And it's this comes from both the the Moses the Torah command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Listen,
1: don't quote the Torah to me, okay, <laughs> buddy? I <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the, the Pharisees or scribes or Sadducees, depending on which gospel, different people ask Jesus which is the greatest commandment. And in some of those, Jesus replies, and in others, he spins it around and makes them reply. But they all give the same answer love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, in that hearing, what we know is shalom, peace, doesn't just mean at peace, like absence of conflict. We know oh, it also 100%. means wholeness. And, uh, fullness. So somehow, if we aren't able to integrate the internal love of God, self, and neighbor, the feeling of love, the thoughts of love, even the spirit or soul or will to love with the body, the strength, the words and actions of love, we are not yet at peace. And the only way to get to get that wholeness, that peace, that shalom, is to make sure that the words and actions of our body strength uh, show the same love that we say we have in our heart and mind. Now, they're different. Mm. That's fine. But if we keep them separated and they're not um, in sync with one another, integrated with one another, we're kind of pretending that one has more power over the other or one is more important than the other. Um, And if I was to bet, my guess is Jesus is more okay with somebody who isn't quite sure what they think and feel but work their butts off to do good in the world as opposed to somebody who is absolutely sure what they think and feel and do nothing in the world.
1: So um, this is not one you and I talked about in the pre-show planning because it's become uh, in the cultural zeitgeist, so to speak, afterwards. But anyone watching the Super Bowl <laughs> came across in several multi-million-dollar dollar commercials the phrase, Jesus gets us. And I wanted to, to know your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. I, it's amazing. Uh, every now and then I'll find somebody who does a good job – pointing to this, uh, there's uh, an image of, uh, in one of those commercials, of an immigrant on the run from a dangerous, politically oppressive regime getting chased down. Oh, yep. I noticed this. Perfect. Yep. Yes, that is it. That is the story of of Jesus in a lot of ways. And so finally, somebody is not doing white, blonde, blue-eyed Jesus. And they're not doing this pure, peaceful Jesus who's all swishy gushy and happy gappy and uh kumbaya. This was a Jesus that was on the run and was being chased by the police and the military and, and the religious leaders and had to had to escape. Uh, so I it's the same story of Moses getting put in the basket, right? It's it's why it's like that. So I love the imagery that points to a more real version of the in flesh to Jesus, who was a minority and poor and on the run. I'm not so sure I'm happy with the fundraising aspect and how those do- how much money was spent on those couple commercials and what the money behind those commercials is supporting. I've just done a smidgen of research into that but I'm Same. yeah I'm not Same. so sure I'm all on board with that I like the marketing <laughs> way Yeah no no I it. mean it it was certainly
1: you know I it, you know when people talk about like sexy commercials right like good production aspects music the the narration and I went on the website and you know um, from what I from what little research I did um, you know our good friends <laughs> Said sarcastically, over at Hobby Lobby, are big, are you know, are in this to some degree, and you know, I couldn't find any sort of ask. In other words, like on the website, there there was nothing about, um, you know, these are the bullet points of who we are and what we believe, and um, so in some ways, it was very <clears throat> amenable, and it was, and you know, that, that's a positive way of looking at it. The 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 sp- I don't know if the word is cynical or not, but it also didn't give me a clear view of what the, the purpose of it was. But, um, you know, it's it certainly, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking, like, if I, if I or my congregation or Judaism writ large were to do a commercial, like, it's just so anathema to who we are to even do that. Not, and not just because we're a minority. I think even if we, even if there were a hundred million Jews in America, it's just, it's just not a part of, judaism to to kind of do that and and i'm i don't say that as a criticism i actually i liked the commercials and was somewhat moved by that the same imagery as you just described but um you know worth mentioning again especially because most many people saw the super bowl so it, it's it's worth bringing up
0: well and that the image of that version of christ uh resonates with some christians in in an amazing way and may resonate with some non-christians as a a relief yay <laughs> finally a jesus that isn't homophobic and judgmental and uh pro-violence or who justifies war on behalf of the the largest capitalistic societies um yep. a jesus that isn't necessarily democratic but is a little bit more towards the socialist side of things. Uh, That's a real Jesus that Scripture and things point to, but it it won't match cultural American Christianity Jesus. So I wonder if that kind of uh, push of a a different Christ will, um, I don't know, rub the American cultural Christians the wrong way, even as it uh, kind of excites Some of us uh, who aren't cultural Christians but trying to be disciplined Christians, and we're going to be the most skeptical of it because it's – who knows what the money's doing (laughs) behind it. I I just can't see that, that campaign winning either side. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Uh, so I have another one for you, and, and this is one that I think about and come across often, and I think you and I have bandied about it before: Jews for Jesus, or, uh, and I mean the same thing by this. Uh, other people may not. Messianic Jews. What are they? <laughs> Who you know? Mm-hmm. Are, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to prime your thinking. I'll just let let you have it, because <laughs> I obviously have opinions on this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I do too. Um, so what's really strange is like in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, the oldest book might be what we call Galatians, and it's one of Paul's letters to a church, maybe in Galatia, but the in Galatia part was a parenthetical ad, and it's in one of the later manuscripts, so we don't really know, but it's just called Galatians now. And he's got this, you know, he was a Pharisee among all Pharisees. He was a top-notch uh, scholar in the Jewish hierarchy of his time. And he had this wild, wacky vision slash, they call it a conversion. I hate that word, but uh, he just had a, like a an expansion of what he thought the boundary was. There was a point in his world where he assumed the boundary was very, very tight against the race or the people that were called Judeans. And something exploded and made his boundary go radically wider than that, to where he started including the Gentiles, um, the non Jews. And when that happened, Paul became, in some weird way, a Jew for Jesus. So I'm, the concept of that, I want to go, okay, fine. The modern practice of it is creepy. Uh, it, I'm, Not okay with it. Uh, There's a bit of a conversion of the Jews to it. Uh, that they sometimes push, and Paul never did that. He never insisted on that. He stood right there in between, and he said, look, if you're Jews and you've been circumcised and you have these table practices and whatever, you keep on doing that. But if you're Gentile, you do not have to be circumcised, nor do you have to honor the table practices. And at the same time, these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians can be one united church together. And that was always the fight. Um, some that were a little, I'd say, farther to the right in the pro-Jewish side were trying to make Gentiles be circumcised, and others that were farther to the left in the Gentile group were making fun of the Jews for having their own practices and rituals. So that that was all breaking the unity. And Paul's big push was, no, you you don't have to convert each other. You don't have to do works across each other in order to be loved in one community under this one God. And, And he kept doing that. So when I see Jews for Jesus, and I sense the conversion that they think is necessary, I can't do that. Um, let's pause there before we turn to Messianic, though. what What's your take on them?
1: Well, you know, I, I first of all, I completely differentiate the historical from the modern in the sense of, it, to me, it, like... It almost doesn't matter historically because that's not what people mean when they say I'm a Jew for Jesus in 2023 or in the 21st century. Yeah. I mean, I think creepy is a good word. One thing that I struggle with is, um, okay. So, you know, we don't, necess- we don't want them in our congregation. Um, but if they were halakhically, if they're born to a Jewish mother, I struggle with the question of, are they Jewish? Now, legally speaking, they are. But, but when I say legally, I mean Jewish law. Um, but that might be that, that might not matter that much. I mean, you know in, in terms of like, okay, so according to Jewish law, but what does that mean in in actual practice in the con in the context of our community? And you know, I occasionally will get an email from someone saying, you know I'm a Messianic Jew wanting to come to your congregation. And I am very clear to say we are not messianic. We are part and parcel of normative Judaism. You know, I use different. You know, the, I don't have like boilerplate language, but this is the 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 gist of what I say. I said you are welcome to pray with us, but messianic beliefs are not really allowed here. So you know, if you could pray with us and you know meet people and converse, but. um you know, that's not who we are. And Mm. and that's not what we're going to teach. Or um, one thing that I struggle with, and I think I know your answer, is, you know, a lot of my colleagues will say, well, Jews for Jesus aren't Jews, they're Christian. So Mm. what do you say to that?
0: We could, uh, we'd have to ask them, like, um, one, uh, are are you baptized? I don't know. Uh, Maybe you are. Cool. Uh, Where were you baptized? And when was that? And Under what situation? For us, it's almost no barriers to that. So there would be water and some kind of triune formula said, and okay, that baptism is good. Uh, Then it would be, well, are you in a a worshiping community where there are disciplines and practices and accountability and responsibility to live a life that looks like Jesus? Um, And if they're like, well, no, but I just believe, right? They'll... (laughs) You're out again, um, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like I'm trying to boot anybody, right? It's just that it's. I find that those little odd points, much like Jesus, had no interest in uh, in being building an army to take over a country, so that. Something would finally, by conquering, be the way it was always supposed to be. There's a little bit of the messianic Judaism that is looking for the next king slash conqueror Mm, to, to take over and own a certain package of real estate where we will all live right, no matter how everybody else lives everywhere else. And the way Jesus talked about it is like, no, the kingdom of God is not a a a set geography. It is everywhere. It is not only sometime in the future. It is also right now. And it is accessible to all, and it is still out of reach for all. So to Mm. really walk the way with Jesus is to recognize that the kingdom of God is here and now and not yet and to get busy working for it, and not just for yourself, but to get busy working for it for everyone so that peace and justice and love and truth are everywhere for everyone. Uh, and that's where the beautiful language from Psalms or whatever, where every tear is wiped and um, every mouth is fed and you know every thirst is quenched, um, all of those kind of language, that's where that comes from. It's, it, it's us trying to imagine that Uh, that reality without trying to put a flag over it or to take it by sword.
1: Mm. I like that. Um, There was something else I was going to ask you about that. Oh, one thing I was going to say is, you know – one response I have that, you know, again, a, a, maybe a little bit sar- sarcastic is, it, "It to me, it's like saying you're a vegetarian and a meat eater. It's not that one is necessarily better than the other, but you cannot be both. Like, you cannot be a Jewish person and a Christian at the same time. You can respect both. You can learn about both. Absolutely. And you should. But you cannot live a Christian life and live a Jewish life.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I can see why either, either faith community would say no to the overlap. I would hope that there might be some way to overlap that would not offend and buck either side, but I don't know if that's possible. It, you, you might be right that the, there is no overlap between the two, but I would love I to believe there there could be.
1: Yeah. It, and it would not surprise me at all to know, which I think is the case, that Jewish communities are more sensitive to this because, for, because we are a minority. And, you know, you used this word earlier because of the kind of appropriation of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and going back to, you know, the the technical term that you introduced of being creepy – there is that conversion aspect. Like no one in my community is is you know, like is walking around saying you have to do this mitzvah. I mean, people are saying like you know what we're talking about is like oh I really want you to join this committee. <laughs> like that, that's where we kind of peer pressure people into doing things. But it's not the kind of thing of like you know you're you need to be saved, therefore you need to believe in X. And my personal experience with Jews for Jesus, Messianic Judaism, is that that is part and parcel of what they do. Uh Um, And that is, you know, that is no bueno for me.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. And even that language of saved, uh, which is very thick in a, a lot of Christianity, particularly American Christianity, they think of saved as a futuristic kingdom of heaven that is somewhere else after death. And for the soul only. So um, if you believe something now, one day when you die, your body will decay and your soul will be released to this beautiful kingdom of heaven. And they think (laughs) that their current thoughts give their soul access to that future space. So Mm. when they go through worlds um, here and now... They are not trying to make the here and now a kingdom of heaven for everyone. They are trying to grab people, make them believe the way they do so that one day they could all go to the same future kingdom of heaven in soul only. And Jesus just doesn't play that game. There's absolutely nothing <laughs> about, good. about the future. That isn't true for the present. There is absolutely nothing that isn't true for the soul that isn't true for the body and the mind and the heart. And if you are trying to save somebody's soul, but don't give a damn about their body, you're not, you're not with Jesus on that. Like, so I don't feel like they can say they're, uh, Jews for Jesus, or they could say they're messianic Christians, right? But they don't look and sound like Jesus to me. And, and for you, they don't look and sound Jewish. <laughs> so, what I'm afraid they've done is like they've so distorted both faiths that they are have lost both, and they yeah. they don't have a a home identity anymore um, that that lines up with something that's holy. They've crafted a new distorted identity that cherry picks uh, from both Judaism and Christianity but don't actually point to truth.
1: Mm, well said. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And and I would just say it's I don't know if my reasoning is as articulate that it's not about for me, it's not about truth. It's not about whether they're right or wrong. It's it's more a it's almost visceral. It's like you're not us and i don't i that sounds so judgmental i hate even the way that sounds but in the same way that like if you it, it, who i love and is a dear friend with your belief system came to my synagogue and wanted to be a part of a community i'd say but that's not who you are mm-hmm. you right like right. it it just it's it, again it's not it's not like we don't like you it's just this isn't the right community for you
0: yeah and i i imagine i could Learn all the rituals. I, and there were, um, in the New Testament, there were folks who did this. Um, there were Roman citizens that had never been circumcised, were not born of Jewish heritage, but were, um, the, the odd term was God believers. They, um, mm-hmm. they weren't Jews, but they practiced in the synagogues and they went through the rituals and they, they had some of the same food restrictions, but they weren't Jewish. Now they were allowed in the community and they were treated at table fellowship and all that, but make no mistake, they would never be a teacher, they would never be a leader, they would never be an elder or a rabbi. They, they were of course there and, and they were considered part of the community in a way, but they weren't considered part of the identity and maybe that's the difference the the hospitality of community is one thing but the identity is another
1: yeah i you, that is very well articulated because again i i don't have not only do i not have a problem i love when guests Come to the synagogue, whether it's a UGA student that's that has the assignment of you know go to a faith community different than yours, or like I just had a, a Zoom meeting just before uh, our our recording uh, an hour ago with with a young man uh, who's in a relationship with a Jewish person and he wants to experience Judaism, thinking about possibly converting later in life. By all means, come learn about us. Um But that again, that welcoming and being friendly and and. Sh- displaying hospitality is very different than okay you are a part of us Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a distinction there and it's important that there's a distinction there
0: man here Uh, i am a gentile answering all these wild questions thank you for asking
1: yeah yeah (laughs) Gentiles, you could say Gentile. That's appropriate. Other ones are not as appropriate, but yes. <laughs> Sometimes words that Jews have for non-Jews um, are, are, uh, are, are you know, just like we have slurs for other things. Uh, there, there are some words that are thankfully leaving the lexicon, so right. to speak. Um, well,
0: that's but, only because yeah, Christians ju- have abused Jews for... To, uh, well, at least sixteen hundred years, if not longer.
1: Well, that's very kind of you to say, but it's still. Uh, I, I am on a, you know, a, a very oca- occasionally I have to correct a congregant or two and be like, you know, we don't use that word anymore. Usually, goy, like there, and then for you know the the one that 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 has a sharp um, resonance is shiksa, which is uh, typically used as a non a non Jewish woman. Um, and it's typically used in the context of, oh, he's dating a shiksa, you know, it's like a, a um, but a, not <laughs> like Ezra those... Maya
0: dating, a a non-Jewish woman. That's right? right. Yeah. That's right.
1: So, you know, in modern parlance, I would just say, she's not Jewish. He's not Jewish. You yeah, know, shiksa shiksa's thankfully kind of losing its, uh, its appropriateness, but, uh, but yeah, Gentile, I think is fine, and and in in Hebrew, um, you know, I you may have said the word earlier. It may, it may have been last week when we had when we we spoke for thirty minutes and then couldn't uh, share it with the world. But you know, the word Goy is a tricky word, um, because Goyim in the Torah means nations, and um. And God tells us, the Jews, that we're to be an or hagoyim, a light unto the nations. And so, you know, in that context, it's a perfectly appropriate word. But that word has been kind of uh changed to mean non-Jew and and often used in in a context not the most appropriate. So um, you know, I try to stick with, you know, they're he or she or they are not Jewish, uh Gentile is fine, but I, I Typically, if I'm saying something differentiating a Jew from a non-Jew, I'll typically just say non-Jew.
0: And that whole, that whole goyim nations, right? The nations weren't the same then as they are now. Lines weren't always as clear. Flags weren't always as clear. Um, Racial slash language identities weren't always as clear. Sometimes they were, but not always. It, it more meant like peoples or... Even tribes or communities, like it, it didn't always have a flag over it. Um, so I, I love the imagination and God says, I'm the God of many nations, right? I'm the God of many peoples. I have the God, you know, and, but you Israel are my, are my special people. And, and that didn't mean that you had necessarily special privilege. It meant you had special responsibility to be that light to all the other nations as well. So it it came with a burden as well as access to a relationship. Um and I I'm okay with that concept and I think of uh Christianity as that's why Paul Paul knew that um as a Jew and when he figured out he was going to do Judaism through a Christ like habit or way or um there was nothing about his Judaism that he let go he just reinterpreted it all through a Messiah that wasn't a conqueror but uh, sacrificed uh, through a Messiah that wasn't a sword swinger right but a a servant um and that rocked his world but he he still practiced um all of the habits and rituals and ceremonies of Judaism even when he was, doing it in a new way
1: well uh, this was great yes. and uh, we'll we'll do it next week
0: thanks for helping me uh, keep it real dude
1: uh, right back at you <laughs> okay I'm gonna save this successfully and people are gonna hear this week's conversation yay. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody has
0: any ideas or wonderings for us, uh, a suggestion for what we should talk about next time or in the rest of the season, we've got a good plan out for these 15 or 20 episodes, but there's some holes in there that we intentionally left looking to hear from y'all. So religionpodcast at gmail.com is one way to reach us, or you can find me or Eric on the socials or through our congregations. Absolutely. Take care, Joel. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for joining us on the real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to ReligionPodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.